For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. So we're in John chapter 10, talking about the, the good shepherd, the dynamics of spiritual leadership. And in a way, you could look at the section that we've been in for weeks now of, you know, there's this case study that John is kind of doing where we're comparing and contrasting Jesus with the spiritual, religious authorities and leaders of his day. So Jesus is one way, the Pharisees are another way, and they're continually just kind of exposing you know, the, the, the two different paths, the two different ways of leading people uh, that are contrasted here. It's clear that Jesus came, he came to have an impact, he has a huge purpose. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man, Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I am here to rescue the human race from its own folly, from its own crepulence. I am here to bring people back to God. When confronted by the Pharisees about why he spends so much time with so many immoral people, Luke 5, 30 through 32, says the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at Jesus' disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is like, they're the mission. That's why I hang out with them. That's why I spend so much time hanging out with people that are living immoral lives is because they're the people I can reach. That's my purpose. That's why I'm here. John 3, 17, Jesus says, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus is very clear, very consistent about what his purpose is, what he's about, what it is that he's doing, and how it is that he's going to approach this incredible mission that he's on. And then we see that contrasted with the Pharisees who are out to protect their own interests, right? They are always looking at how does this affect them? How does this affect their power base? Uh, They are viewing Jesus through the exclusive lens of what a threat he represents to their position. You know, he cleanses out the temple in John 2, and he becomes a threat to their wealth. You know, he becomes a threat to their stature when he critiques them, when he explains and says, you know, these Pharisees, they love to blow the trumpets and the horns, and they want everybody to see when they give at the temple. And that we shouldn't be like that. We should, we should do our good deeds in secret in the, for the fact that they're good, not to puff ourselves up in front of men. And he goes as far as calling them the blind leading the blind. He says, you really shouldn't listen to these guys. You really shouldn't follow these guys because they don't know anything about God. And so they are looking at this and they are looking at their power base, their influence, their wealth, their authority, and they're, and they're seeing Jesus as a threat to those things and it doesn't matter whether he's right or wrong. What matters is, is that he's a threat and they are used to using their leadership to protect their power. So two weeks ago, we were in John 9, and we were talking about the man born blind, and Jesus does this amazing thing. He takes somebody who had been born blind that everybody knew, 
and had seen, and he restored his sight. Huge miracle, huge, you know, objective proof about the reality of who God is. And what do the Pharisees do? They bring the guy in, they interview him, and they're like, you know, you're not really the man who was born blind. And he's like, no, I am. And they're like, tell the truth. And he's like, no. And they bring in his parents and they threaten his parents, right? And then when he doesn't give him the answers, he gives them the truth. But he doesn't give them the answers that they want to hear. What do they do? They throw him out of the synagogue. They cut him off from the spiritual community of which they are the leaders because he doesn't serve to protect their interest of protecting themselves. And so we look at this and we say, okay, we have these two different models of spiritual leadership of what it means to be an influence on others for God in the name of God. And we can use influence for God's purposes, for the good of those in need. That would be how Jesus is approaching this. Or we can use it to obtain more power and personal gain. And we're all familiar with this. We know. We live in a culture where we've had so many examples of people using religion and the authority that comes from spiritual leadership selfishly to control others and to puff themselves up and get what they want. This, in many people's thinking, is the purpose, the true purpose of religion is to control the masses. And that anybody who gets involved in any kind of organized religion is a fool and a sucker who's just feeding into the system that makes the people at the top rich and powerful. And so it's a big problem. And how is it that we as Bible-believing Christians are supposed to think about authority, are supposed to think about leadership? So in the middle of all that, Jesus brings up this discussion in John 10, verse 1, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And so Jesus is using a metaphor that would have been very familiar to them as an agrarian society. They had a lot of shepherds. They had a lot of uh, flocks. Most, a lot of families would have their own small flock that they would use for wool and milk and, and occasionally meat. And he's describing something that wouldn't be necessarily familiar to us, which is when you had your flock out in the pasture, you were grazing, uh, it's really, really a bad idea to have the sheep out wandering on their own at night. Not the brightest animals and not the greatest at defending themselves, Right? So they would build these structures out in these fields where there would be a, a, a decent-sized wall that would keep the sheep in, and the shepherd would himself like lay and sleep in the one gate, the one opening, to keep the sheep in and to keep the predators out. And his point, the imagery that he's drawing here, is he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. The good shepherd is the door. The good shepherd contains and puts themselves between harm and the sheep. But the thief, the thief is on the outside looking in, trying to figure out how to get past 
and to get in and use the sheep for their own purposes. The thief comes in secret. They don't want other people to know their true motives. They don't want other people to know what they're doing and they would rather get in and get out without anybody understanding why they were there or the fact that they were there. They want to avoid accountability. They don't want to have their motives exposed. And that's the way the thief operates and they want what they want and they want to get things that don't belong to them that they haven't earned and that they don't deserve. I wonder who the thief would be in this metaphor, right? He says the shepherd, on the other hand, lives in the open. Everybody knows where to find the shepherd. He's at the gate watching after the sheep. His life is transparent. She has a relationship with the sheep. He knows them. They know his voice. They respond to him. He is invested in them. He spends his time thinking through where to lead them, how to guide them, how to get them to the places where they need to go, how to avoid the predators, how to you know, avoid and, and remove parasites and, and deal with disease. He's intimately involved with the lives of these sheep to the point where even foolish sheep, much dumber than dogs, know who he is and know he's important and they want him around. The shepherd, he says, leads by example. We sometimes have an image of the, the shepherd walks behind the flock and whacks them with a the stick and keeps them moving. That's a Western view of shepherding. This was, the flocks were much smaller and the shepherd would walk and the sheep would just follow the shepherd wherever he went because he was the man. He had all the good stuff. And so they would follow him. He says in verse five, a stranger they simply will not follow but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, John says, but they didn't understand what those things were in which he was saying to them. So he's giving them this metaphor in the midst of what's just happened is the man born blind has been put out of the synagogue. And Jesus starts doing uh, this teaching. And it's like the Pharisees were like, we don't get it, which is fascinating on a couple of levels. One, they surely would have understood all the sheep information I just gave you would have been known and accessible to them. And it's also fascinating because, you know, one of the things that we're starting to see is these guys are supposed to be scholars. They're supposed to understand the Old Testament, that they are supposed to be like the top flight uh, interpreters and scholars of the word of God of their day. And yet we continually see that they are missing key things that people who study the word of God should know. In fact, it seems like they're more obsessed with the traditions of their fathers than they are with the word of God. Because this explanation that Jesus is giving is all over the Old Testament. It comes up again and again and again. And they should be very familiar with it. Check out Ezekiel 34, 2 through 6. God says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord, woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. 
And they became food for the every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock, God says, wandered through all the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or to seek for them. This goes on for some time. And then uh, in Ezekiel 34, 22 through 24, he says the conclusion of this from God's perspective is, therefore, I will deliver my flock. And they will no longer be a prey, and I will judge between the sheep and another. And then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. And he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. This imagery that Jesus is using to help the Pharisees understand what's wrong with their perspective on leadership right out of Ezekiel is explaining what is happening in their midst. God is saying, you Pharisees were supposed to be taking care of my people, watching out for them, feeding them, caring for them, keeping them from these false ideologies, these false ways, helping them understand who I am and how I love them and how they can be connected to me. But all you've been doing is feeding from them, taking from them. And so you're fire. And I'm going to come and do it myself. And I'm going to bring the people together. And it's very clear that Jesus is drawing on this same imagery that these guys should be experts in themselves. So verse 7, Jesus said to them again, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Right? That's that imagery of the shepherd standing in the gate. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, when it comes to sort of assessing spiritual leadership and looking at, you know, who should be in these roles and what's happening, it would become pretty important to be able to tell the difference, wouldn't it, between a good shepherd and a thief. And there's some pretty clear things that you could look for here. This good shepherd, he says, is the door. The good shepherd places himself between harm. He doesn't run away from the threat. He places himself between the sheep and the threat. The thief is just out for self. Right? The good shepherd is the protector and the provider. The thief only takes, doesn't give anything. The shepherd enhances the lives of others. The thief destroys the lives of others. And so, you know, when we're assessing spiritual leadership in others and in ourselves, I think we can look at this and we can say, you know, how are we doing? Where are we at? Are we really concerned with helping and being there for others and lifting them up? Or are we just concerned with protecting our image and ourselves and, and getting what we want out of people? In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves. The sheep flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And so he introduces this third player here. We have the good shepherd, we have the thief, and now we have the hired hand. And the hired hand, he says, appears to have the role of the shepherd. 
This is one who who is taking the responsibility of the shepherd on, but doesn't own the sheep. And the problem with this is, he's not going to put the needs and welfare of the sheep before himself. Because he doesn't have the relationship with the sheep. He's there, you know, to help and to guide and protect in theory. But when the threats come, when the rubber hits the road and it's time to decide who you are and how important are these people or these sheep, how important are they to you? He abandons the role in times of trouble. He says the hireling flees because he is a hired hand and he is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not in this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. He says, I am here because I am concerned for them. Let's take all this and just put it in the context of the man born blind, right? I, Jesus says, healed this man, cared for him, showed him the way to God. He comes up to the man born blind and explains to him that he needs faith. He needs to believe in the son of man. And the man born blind says, who is he that I may believe? And Jesus says, it's me. And his life and and his eternal status, and he doesn't just get visual sight, he gets eternal life. And yet the Pharisees, what do they see? They only see one thing, a threat. A threat to their power base. And they are more than willing to expel, expend, destroy this man, rather than allow themselves to be put in a weakened state. And so clearly the example here, the good shepherd is Christ. He cares for the suffering of others. He protects the downtrodden. He confronts those who would take advantage of him. And he lives his life consistently with his own teaching. He leads the way by example and ultimately lays down his life. There is an actual opportunity where he must decide, will he live or die on the basis of what's best for the people. And Jesus chooses to die. He chooses to go to the cross. When he says, I am the door, I am the way, I am the path, the Greek on this is very, very clear. It is, I am the only door. And what he's saying is, is I am the path to God. I am how you, as all people, can come into the family of God, the flock of God, and receive forgiveness for your sins. And it is only through me that can, that can happen, Jesus is saying. And the way that that became possible was because Jesus allowed himself to be put on a cross and God took all the wrath, all the punishment for our sin and poured it out on himself and the person of Jesus Christ. He literally took what we deserve for our bad behavior upon himself so that we can be saved. Well, the thief and the hireling 
are really one and the same here. Clearly, these are the Pharisees and anyone else who would put themselves in a position where they accept the role of leader, but not the responsibility of the people. That's what he's talking about here. They're unconcerned about the welfare of the sheep. They're eager to use their authority for personal gain. They lead through fear tactics, manipulation, and brutality. And they refuse, they refuse to risk themselves for the sake of others. And if we're, if we're honest, we see why so many people in our culture have such a critique of organized religion because there are so many examples where it seems like the people in charge are the hireling, they're the thief. But we have to ask ourselves, is that because Jesus' teachings are flawed or is it because people have misappropriated, manipulated, and changed the word of God in order to put themselves in a more advantageous position? Is the problem the message or the way that people have twisted the message? And if the problem is the way that people have twisted the message, then there is a path and a way, away from the hireling and to the good shepherd. We all would like and need the good shepherd in our lives. Why? Well, who are we in this story? We're the sheep. Not a real flattering metaphor when you think about it. They're they're pretty helpless. They're pretty ignorant. Uh, You know, it's the helplessness of the sheep that really drives the picture home. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him, right? That's what we were just talking about. We were not made to go it alone. We were not put together to be without God. He is the good shepherd. And very much like that, you know, sheep have been selectively bred by men over thousands of years, they're the only animal that really, they can't, the sheep don't get out and run feral. There are no feral sheep, okay? They don't like just absorb back into like their pre-domestic state. Every other animal will do that. Sheep will just die. They do. This is what happens to sheep without people. Their hair just continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow until they fall over and starve to death under the weight of their wool. They have been selectively bred by man for so long, they do not have the option of disconnecting their relationship from men and surviving. And God is saying, I have designed you to need me to be in a relationship with me. And when you disconnect yourself from me, you die. You will not meet the purpose. You will not meet the end that you were designed for if you do not come in and let me be your shepherd. That picture is so poignant because what do we want? We don't, we just... We just want to do our own thing. 
But God says that is death. We need a relationship with the shepherd. Now, the sheep metaphor is not super exciting, but it's one of many. God also says we're his sons and his daughters. We're his family, not his servants. He does not fleece us. He has no need of our wool, and he doesn't use us for food. That's where the metaphor breaks down. But it's the relationship of care between a shepherd and a sheep and the need of the sheep for the shepherd that really drives this metaphor home. We are also called to be shepherds. We are both sheep and shepherd. God is the good shepherd. He's the over-shepherd, right? But he also calls us into a role with others where we can begin to take care of others that the power of God will work through us to serve and love and care for other people. In John 21, 16, what does Jesus say to Simon Peter? Peter had denied him three times in this sort of shameful moment where uh, he was asked, do you know Jesus? And he was like, no, are you sure? No. And so Jesus went to the cross, he died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the next time he saw Simon Peter, they had this conversation where Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? In John 21, 16, it said, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus replied, shepherd my sheep. You know, as, as believers, we are hopefully confronted with the reality of the greatness of what God has done for us. As we understand even a fraction of the reality of the damage that our sin, that our bad choices, our evil does in the lives of others, and we can connect with the reality that God is good and he loves us and he died in our place. Hopefully that produces some sense of wonder that God would do this, some sense of awe at the greatness of God and some sense of what can I do? Not because I'm obligated, not because I have to, but I'm so blown away by what God has done for me. It forces me to have to wonder, how can I show affection for him? And God's answer to that is take what I've given you, the love and the care, and give it to others. Because I love them the same way I love you. And when you love them, you love me. That picture is an incredibly motivating picture to want to get involved in other people's lives, to connect with them, and to give them the unconditional sacrificial love that God has given us. Peter, who Jesus said this to, would later write 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, He says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. How different the church would be if its leaders followed this picture of leadership. You know, the reality is, is if, if the church were 
what God has called it to be, if it was even close to what God had called it to be, and if leaders in the church were even close to this picture, this beautiful picture of servant love, how different would people see? I don't think people, I don't think people would look at the church necessarily and be like, oh, it's awesome, I just want to sign up. Because there's still that whole area of pride. But at the, what, wouldn't it be wonderful if we lived in a world where at the very least people said, you know what, I don't agree with the church, I don't agree with the Bible, but I have to admit those people are loving. I have to admit they are operating on a completely different wavelength when it comes to generosity and kindness and patience. And there's something special there. What if that was the worst thing that you could say about the church? How are we going to get there? Isn't that the call? When Jesus said, what should make us stand out? What did he say? He said that they would know you by your love for one another. That is supposed to be the determining factor in who we are as a community. I don't agree with them necessarily, but they sure do love one another and the people that they meet. The only way that's going to happen is by shepherds raising up, recognizing what God has done for them and being willing to help others in that mission, in that picture of being this community coming together, not leading people by compulsion, not putting them under fear or under threat or under shame, but moving together in compassion and love and the grace of God to show the world that there is something real in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you might look at that and you might say, that's a really big job. You're talking about the whole world. I'm like, yeah. And you're like, not just Columbus, Ohio. No. Well, what difference can I make? Well, what difference can all of us make? What's lacking is shepherds. What's lacking is people being willing to step up and say, this, this is what I want our community to be. I am willing to sacrifice my time and my energy and my wealth. I am willing to lay aside my hobbies, and spend time caring for others and putting them before me. And the more people who would do that, the more it would grow, the stronger it would be. And you might think I'm talking, because this is Xenos, you might think I'm saying well, you should become a home church leader. I'm not talking about that. That's one way to do that. I'm talking about Helping others grow. One person at a time, if need be. But doing what you can to invest yourself in others. What kind of sheep slash shepherd will you be as a follower of God? Who are you and what is your life going to be about? And what is your interface with this going to be? Will you refuse to be led by God or others? That's what most do. 
is they just say, you know what? I want to be like the sheep who knows the way. And I don't want any sheep to follow me because that's a burden. And I don't want the shepherd to have to worry himself with me. I'll just be fine on my own. And this was my picture from, from the very early point in my life. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18 years old. But when I was in high school, I had a lot of grown-ups, a lot of people in my life who were telling me, you know, they were trying to push me towards leadership things. They wanted, you know, to be captain of a team or they wanted me to run for student council. And I had teachers and I was just like, if you knew all the evil that was, I was doing, you would, have, you would not want me in this position. You know, I didn't have good grades. I, I wasn't living a moral life. I was trying to just have as much fun as I could without getting caught. And I was really good at not getting caught. So people thought I should be in a position of responsibility. And that was, that was my picture was I wanted to be the guy who didn't need a leader but wasn't leading anyone else. And I remember having a conversation early on in my Christian life where someone who was mentoring me, this guy Mark Avers, was upset because uh, a bunch of my friends had gone out and, uh, and partied and had too much to drink and I'd skipped out. And I was usually be the one that was like leading the charge on something like that. And instead, I saw where it was headed. I saw where it was coming. It was my friend's 21st birthday. Everybody was going to this bar. And I just knew it was going to go bad. And so I went. I said, happy birthday to my friend. I had a beer and I left. And I was so excited. Because it was just like, you know, I was the one that was always getting in trouble. And it was just like, oh, man. I can't wait till they come and ask me, did I start this thing? And Mark came and he was like, hey, I heard a bunch of the guys had too much to drink. What do you know about that? And I was like, totally saw it coming. It wasn't me this time. I went, I had a drink, I went home. And he was like, you didn't care about, you saw where it was going and you didn't care about anybody else. I was like, I can't win. I can't, you know, it's just like, come on, man. I did the right thing this time. And he was like, you did the wrong thing. You knew where it was headed and you didn't care about anyone else. And I said, listen, I can, I can barely keep myself together. Can I get a win this one time? Just a check. Good job not getting drunk this time. And he said, Jesus said, if you love me, shepherd my sheep. And I was just like, oh, the whole shepherding thing. He said, if you love me, shepherd my sheep. He said, even a thief loves those who love him. This is about being concerned for others. And I just hated that idea. I didn't want to be responsible. I didn't want to feel the need to watch out for others. I just wanted to take care of myself. And that was the thought and the feeling and the expression of an 18-year-old carnal fool. And may we all grow beyond that, right? That as we understand who God is and as we understand the love of God, we wouldn't just want to be a sheep who doesn't need that much leadership. But we would want to be somebody who is inspired to actually take responsibility for the care of others not related to us. Not just our children, not just our household, not just our spouse, but that we would look across the room this morning 
and have that sense of responsibility for one another, investment in one another, that we could, if we could do that, if, if we all did that, we prayed for each other, we talked to each other, we served each other, and we took a sense of ownership about the care of one another, how would our, our community change in the light of that? That if we would stop this sense of, I just don't have the resources to care for others, I just have to, I could barely keep myself afloat, and realize the bounty of God's riches that we have. that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, the power of the alpha and the omega behind us, that we would understand that there is no lack of resources to engage us in serving and loving God's people. And then there's the question of the hireling, right? And, you know, if you're involved in this at all, you start thinking, you're just like, ugh. The hireling. Am I the hireling? That's the question. The hireling wants the role, but not the responsibility. The hireling just does the minimum, right? Just enough to not get fired, but not so much that, you know, it costs me a lot. They have little affection for the people they work with. They refuse to risk themselves. I'm only going to go so far to help these people. And if it gets too dangerous or too threatening, I'm going to pull back. The hireling is often very omissive. And what I mean by that is, is this is somebody who's filled the role. I'm going to help lead these people. I'm going to take responsibility for them. But when the people need to be corrected, when they need to be confronted, or when a threat arises and that threat needs to be confronted, the hireling kind of wants to fade into the back and just not do anything because of the cost. They're doing a cost-benefit analysis on that intervention, and they're deciding I'm more important. I'm not going to talk to this person about this real issue in their life because it's going to bum me out to be in that position to have that hard conversation. And it might turn other people against me. It might make me unpopular. It's definitely going to be stressful. And I have enough stress in my life. I do not want to be involved in taking risks and helping others. Ultimately, the hireling cares only about themselves. And the tricky thing is, is the difference. What's the difference between the shepherd and the hireling? It's just motive. And motive is scary, scary, scary stuff to get into. Because when do we ever have 100% one motive or 100% another? Only motives I've ever had that were 100% were 100% evil. I've never had a 100% good motive that I can remember I'm pretty confident that it's never happened. So then you have to get into, well, how much of a hireling am I? And that's a scary question. But that's a question that we need to answer for ourselves, not a question that really others can answer for us. You're going to be tempted towards hireling behaviors, right? It's not a decision you make once and then just stick with it. I'm a shepherd, not a hireling. 
It's a decision that you will make in every situation where you have to make a choice whether you're going to do what God would want you to do or whether you're going to do what seems safe for you. And so, are you willing to live your life in the light? Are you willing to share with others your failures? Are you willing to be exposed and accountable for your behavior? Are you willing as the good shepherd to be right where everybody knows that you will be and to be under the examination of everybody else? Or are you instinctively shying away from scrutiny because you have things that you just don't want people to know about? That fear of being exposed will drive you into a hireling motive. You have to allow yourself and others to question your motives. One thing that should make you deeply suspicious about what's in your heart is when people say, what's going on with you? Why are you doing that? And you're deeply offended that they would bother, that they would have the gall to ask you that, that question, right? That should be a red flag for yourself. Why? If I'm willing to live my life in the light and I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm forgiven and that it's God's glory and God's goodness, that anything good that comes from me is from him, why would I be so offended at being scrutinized? Unless I have things I want to hide. Know that you're accountable to God. That God is the one who knows what's on your heart. And he is the only one that is in a position where he can judge that, but he is rooting for you. He wants you to win. He wants you to become the shepherd. Obviously, persevering when the trials come, you know, whatever's in your heart, whatever feelings you have, I'm afraid, I'm selfish, I'm scared, I'm angry, whatever it is, you know, I'm not somebody who really believes that we have control over our emotions. And I don't believe that emotions are sin. I think our actions are what determine sin. And so our feelings can definitely and often do lead us to sinful actions. But you can have terribly, terribly compulsive, selfish feelings and still choose to do what's right. And that is what matters. That is in your control, what you do. Are you willing? Can you assess your life and say, I have on a fairly regular basis put myself into some pretty uncomfortable situations recently. Whether it's sharing my faith with someone who doesn't know God, confessing my sin to my brother or sister in Christ, talking to them about what's going on in their lives and where things need to change. Am I taking risks by putting myself in harm's way because I believe it's what needs to be done for the love of God's people? And there should be a fairly strong record of not only in the past, but in the very recent future where I know that I'm doing this in a regular way because this is what loving others entails. It entails putting yourself in harm's way for their good. The great thing though, so motive is complicated and we're all hireling and shepherd in some degree or another, right? But the great thing is, is while you don't control your feelings, you ultimately decide your actions. Whether you're a hireling or whether you're a good shepherd is really up to you. That is in your control. 
in the sense that it's an act of volition. I don't mean to say that we can do that without the power of God. Certainly the power of God must be there for us to do anything good. But the power of God can be there and we can still choose to be wicked. And so the choice is yours. Those of you who don't know God are confronted with an important question here. Is it time to come in? Are you filled full of wool and just feel like, you know, the weight of the world is weighing down so heavily on you that you know something has to change. There's something that's not right. And you've tried all these other things and none of them have provided the relief. It's the good shepherd that you need. It's Jesus Christ. Invite God into your life. Come in through the door of Jesus Christ and let him begin to set things right for you so that then you can go out and help others. Get involved. Get connected with people. We have home churches that meet all over this city. Get involved in community and become somebody who is a help to others. For the rest of us, it's just a question of will we answer God's call to love his people? And I think in a lot of ways, the structure of our church has done us a disservice in the sense that, you know, we tend to think of that in the terms of, you know, well, are you willing to be a home church leader or not? And home church leaders are awesome. And we need lots of home church leaders. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about are you willing to love the people that God has put in your life? Because that matters so much more than a role or a title. Are you willing to get equipped? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to sit and take the time to understand God's word for your life and God's will for your life? Are you getting equipped so that you can answer other people's questions and provide an answer for the reason that you've made the decisions that you've made? And are you willing to become a leader? A leader as a shepherd of God's flock in whatever context that might be. That is the greatest thing. It is the clearest thing that we can do as believers to express our love to God is to love his children. They have John 10. Well, why don't we pray? God, we're really grateful for you dying for us on the cross, for you starting this whole thing where we can understand a totally radically new and deep picture of what real love is. And then you raised up others who also demonstrated that for us. There's so many people in our lives that I can remember who, uh, who showed me this, who lived this for me. I never, ever would have stumbled upon this. I never would have found my way into this without you and without the people that you motivated to come into my life and show me something different. I would be so alone. I would be living such a self-centered life and I would be so convinced that it, there was no answer if you hadn't moved. And I'm just grateful, God, that you did and grateful that others have been willing to do that not just for me, but for so many others. 
And we ask God that our church would continue to grow in the sense that each of us would have more of an understanding of the role that you want us to play in being caretakers and being givers and being protectors of each other and being ambassadors to those who don't know you. Amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.